Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Let me pray us in this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, God. We thank you for, um, we thank you for the Ville Church. God, we thank you for the thing that you're doing in our community right now. We thank you that you've, um, through your goodness, through your sovereignty, you've brought us all together um, right now, Father Lord, that I thank you that we're in the best place we can be right now. We're not supposed to be somewhere else, but you brought us here this morning, Father, to proclaim your gospel, to worship you, Father Lord, as a family, as a community, as a church. Um, you've blessed us with grace, Father Lord, to learn how to walk into the reality of these things. So the story's not about us being perfect, but it's about us pursuing a perfect God who's sanctifying us and always cleansing us and perfecting us, even through tensions and hard things, Father Lord. So we thank you for that, that because of what you've done, we're overcomers, Father Lord. So we're able to boast in our weakness, and we're able to scream and yell and worship you because of your strength, Father Lord, that you're showing us. So we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I think I have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to go pretty quick, all right? Acts 3, I'm going to go ahead and read. Y'all ready? All right. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms, which is a charitable gift. He was not lacking fiber, and that was not almonds, all right? I know y'all heard that joke before, but I got to say it again. He's not asking for almonds. He's asking for alms, and he's at the gate, and he's begging, begging everybody who's entering the temple. And it says, verse 3, it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at, at him, as did John, and he said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with the wonder and amazement of what happened to him. All right. So I'm going to stop right there. Let me give you a little bit of context and where we're going to go and stuff. So you have this guy, whatever, that is at the gate. He's asking for alms, and everybody thinks he's nuts, all right? Anyway. Anyway, all right. So everybody thinks he's nuts, all right? And then you got Peter who comes in, him and John, and they're chilling, and they roll up, and they're coming through or whatever, and he's like, yo, man, like, hook a brother up with something. Y'all been to the gas station, whatever, on you, and y'all know how it rolls, right? You've been in 7-Eleven, and he's like, yo, hook a brother up, you know what I mean? And they're like, yo, we don't got nothing for you, you know what I'm saying? But we got something, something for you that's better than all that. And then they make this statement, look at us. I want us to focus on the statement because this, the, the, the series we're stepping in today is called Amazing Grace, right? Um, and I'm just work out the grace 
and how this whole chapter points to Jesus in this most amazing way. And I want to leave you encouraged through that on how you see God and how you see yourself in this story. But they do this thing where they say, look at us, right? And the reason it's so important is because when they say look at us, they mean something very different than what the world means when it says look at us, right? So we're inside of a social media culture right now. We're in a culture where I think ages 16 to 24, 78% 78% 78 of that age group is actually on Snapchat, right? They're on Snapchat. That's like the whole world is on lockdown. Like our whole next generation is on lockdown with social media. And like everybody's on social media and their whole thing is like, look at us. There's no look at us so we can point to Jesus. There's no look at us for something else. It's just like that, that, that's the end all of everything. It's like, look at us. Like people are starving for attention. They're star- starving to be seen. They're starving to be lifted up and glorified, right? Like I saw a video the other day where the dude was pouring. I've been seeing him for a couple months on like Instagram. He always pours hot sauce in his eyeball. Anybody saw that? And you know what I'm talking about? And then I saw him the other day, he had an eye patch. And I was just like, this dude's like, he's lost his eye with the, with, the, with the hot sauce, right? And it's not even Louisiana hot sauce. Everybody knows that's the best. So I'm really confused by that. If you're going to put in your eye, get right, get the best hot sauce or whatever, right? <laughs> then you have the kids eating, you know, the, the detergent pots. <laughs> All right? So everybody's like, look at us, right? It's absolutely crazy. But Peter and John want everybody to look at them for a different attention, um, um, for a different reason, right? So verse 12, let me jump to it. it. says this, I'm gonna read 11 and 12. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called, portico called Solomon's, right? So they running up, they like, oh, junk. They, they, they healed the dude with the arms or whatever over there or whatever, right? He's been there for years. And it says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk, right? This is a big deal right here. This is a big deal because he's saying, stare at like, why are you staring at, he, he says, look at us, and then he's like, Yo, why are you looking at me, homie? You know what I'm saying? So he kind of throws them in this kind of tension right here. But the thing that's so amazing about it is because of who's saying it. We're talking about Peter, who's hard-hearted. He's been hard-hearted throughout the Bible, right? We know that he's rolling with Jesus. He's sitting with Jesus all the time, and he can never grasp what Jesus is saying, right? He, t- he keeps telling Jesus, Jesus having to arm wrestle him all the time. Jesus is trying to tell Peter, like, homie, you're not as loyal as you think. And Peter's like, yo, I'll never... I'll never betray you, Jesus, ever. Put a, put a gun to my head. They don't even have guns back then. But he's still like, yo, if they found a gun and put it to my head, whatever. They got to take me out. I'll never leave you. This, so this is the person who's making this statement, which is why it's so profound. Because Peter's like, he's like us. He can't grasp the idea of grace. He can't grasp the idea of him not having to work hard to be righteous, right? So for him to take this opportunity right now when everybody runs in and they're staring at him like, yo, y'all just healed homeboy. This is absolutely crazy. And for him to take everybody's attention 
and get ready to point it somewhere else is a very, very big deal. It means for us, if we're, if we're just following the whole narrative of the Bible, it means Peter has definitely had some type of experience that has changed him, right? Y'all agree with that? We're dealing with Peter on the other side of his conviction, right? I wrote this corny phrase right here. I have to read it because it's so corny. All right? So the new Peter is about to give them what Christ gave to him, right? And so it says, a taste, he gives them a taste of falling flat on their, on their face only to be met by grace. I know that's corny. I never read this stuff to my wife because she's like, please don't go on stage and say this right here. But I can't help it. It's like I got, when it rhymes, I got to drop it. I don't freestyle or rap anymore, so I got to get it off when I'm on stage or whatever. But anyway, so he's, so he, Peter, who has fallen on his face miserably, right? Peter, who used to be all extra gangster or whatever, and Jesus, and he's cutting off ears, and then he runs and he deserts Jesus, is no longer saying, look at me, he's been humbled. He's about to point them to Jesus, right? And so this is important because Peter is given to them, he's about to give to these people what God gave to him, right? He's about to give to them what God gave to him, right? So let me, let me read this to you. This is 2 Corinthians 12. This is Paul talking here. I'm gonna read verse nine. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. We're looking at a new Peter right here who has made this switch around where it's no longer about boasting in his power, but he's actually functioning in his weakness. And the, and the reason this is so important to the narrative that we're in right now is because this idea of grace that we're talking about, right, it, it involves us having to let go of our hands, like our cold, dead hands off of our own righteousness, right? So like when we do, deal with the idea of grace and we deal with the idea of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, to accept that, we have to say we are, in, we are utterly needy of it, and we have to say that there is no way in the world we can actually save ourselves. You get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me so far? So Peter has had this situation happen, and I, so I want you to watch as he, leave, uh, as he lives this out, right? So let's, let's look at verse 13 really quick. All right, I'm going to go back to 12. It says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by, by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He's saying, it's not from us. And this is not from our self-righteousness. Don't get it confused, right? And then verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. I don't know if you grasp this right now, right? But if I'm just, let me give you a little bit of context. Like, this conversation is happening right on the hills of Jesus being killed on the cross, right? Being crucified. So you have to think about what everybody in town is thinking about. I'm going to try to give you, like, so let's say in Jacksonville there's a big court case going down. 
and somebody who everybody's following, they're like, yo, this guy, they say he's like the Messiah or whatever. And we're all like, man, get out of here. But he has like a crazy, crazy following. And then they're like, they take him to court and they're going to give him the death sentence and then they end up killing him. But the day they end up killing this guy, I'm talking about in modern day Jacksonville, Florida, bear with me. All right, excuse me. The day they end up killing him, like lightning strikes the, the, the courthouse, right? Let's say all of these crazy, like an earthquake hits. All of these crazy things happen to where like everybody in the city is now nervous because we're like walking around, we're like, you, um, you think homeboy might have been the Messiah? And like, we're like, we're sick to our stomach. Like everybody's at work the, you know, the next day, like, yo, I'm glad they got rid of that guy, man, he was bad news. And then everybody's just looking at each other like, what have we done? This is what's going on. There's a report in the Bible that says, it's actually in the Bible, it says, after Jesus was crucified, there were, that dead people came out of the grave and walked through the city. And there was tons of witnesses. That's actually in the Bible. That's written in the Bible. So they got like, Walking Dead episode one popping off, right? Everybody ain't see it, but there's mad witnesses there or whatever, and so that's the word that's popping off around town. Everybody's like, yo, homie, I saw like some real life zombies out here or whatever, like this dude might have been the guy. You get where I'm coming from? So they're shook. So when he brings it to them, he brings it to them, right? He's like, yo, y'all killed them. I seen you. I seen, seen, S-E-E-N-T-H, right? I seen it you, like he is on him, right? He's not, he's not playing with him, he's not playing with him. You know, because you want to know what he's doing? Jesus kept arm wrestling with Peter. He kept telling him, yo, Peter, you, 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 you're not seeing me like you think you are. You ain't, you're not needy enough. You still think you're cute. You still think you're capable. You still think you're able. But then Peter found himself sick to his stomach because he's like, I just watched him crucify my Lord and Savior, and I ran and left him. The, the rug got swept from up under him. He's like, I'm not who I thought I was. I thought I was the loyal guy. I thought I was ride or die till the wheels fall off. You ever talk to people, and everything they say, you be like, well, really, because, like, truth is the type of person I am, like, you know, it don't matter. If, every, if they shooting and you with me, they got to hit me first. And you just kind of like, okay, whatever, man. That's Peter. It's Peter. And Jesus had to break him. Jesus still, I told you this a couple weeks, Jesus still was like, yo, I'm going to build my church off of you. You're talking about grace. We look at people, they come into church or whatever, and they want to serve, and we're like, I don't, he's kind of scary or whatever. I don't know. Like, this would be the craziest stuff or whatever. He'd be like, nah, he has a mole right here. Did you see that? It's, my grandmother told me, anybody, like, like, we'll disqualify stuff for the craziest stuff. But Jesus is, Jesus is looking at Peter. He's like, oh, yeah, you're going to lead the squad. You're going to lead the squad. And Peter's an absolute mess, right? But Jesus knows what he needs. He needs to get slammed on his face. Where's my, my poem at? A taste of falling flat on his face only to be met by grace. Peter needed some falling on his face. And Peter brings them right on their face. So he hits them. He's like, I seen you. No joke. This is a true story. I remember when I was a kid one time, me and some of my friends had came up on a wallet, right? And I think it was like two, hold on, it was like three or four of us there. 
And so we found this wallet, it had the ID in it. I was probably like 10 something years old or something. Anyway, we, were, we knew we should have took the wallet back to the person or got it back to him, right? And so I take the wallet, there's money in it, a whole load of cash or whatever. Like to us, it was a lot of money. We split it up. I went and got me a Swatch watch. Y'all remember Swatch watches? Got me a banging Swatch watch or whatever, all that. You know, I had some snacks stashed under the bed at the crib. And this one kid was with us. Like, and he was like, he didn't take any money. Like, he was with us. He was in on it. But like, you know, he just was like, nah, nah, I'm good. Like, y'all go for it. Y'all rolled up in the crib one day. Homie was in there chilling with my mom like this, like, we're 10. I'm talking about snitch of the year. Like, <laughs> like his whole, I'm not joking. I'm not making this funny just for the story. His whole posture horrified me. He just was in there like with my mom, like a grown 30-something-year-old adult. You know what I'm saying? And he was just like, I tried to tell him, you know, the right thing to do. He, he got us all cased up. My mom wore me out. I'm not even going to front. And she made me go take the money back to the guy and apologize to him, all this crazy stuff. But homie was in my house like, I sinked them. <laughs> no joke. Uh, no joke. I'm not playing with you. He put a snitcheroonie on us like I had never felt before in my life. Homie straight snitched on us. He's bringing it to him. He needs them to feel the weight of it. He needs them to feel the weight of it so they can feel the grace. So they can, he wants to put them in, in this, this land of hopelessness where they lose all confidence in themselves, right? He wants them to be caught red-handed. Peter and John are like, yo, I seen you, y'all. Let me read it to you real quick. It says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant. He, go, he takes it all the way to the past. He's given them prophecy, the whole deal. Glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. You delivered him over, and then here's the thing. He, gives, he hits it with this hook right here, like, don't even try to blame it on Pilate. He goes, when he, had, when he goes, in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him, he goes, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. The author of life. I've never heard somebody call somebody the author of life. That's a horrifying phrase in itself. If somebody says you even offended the author of life, you're in bad shape says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So that sick, stomach, that sick feeling everybody's been running around with ever since Jesus died on the cross, ever since the veil in the temple I got split in half, ever since all of this stuff, ever since that, that, the, that the tomb had been removed and everybody in town is talking like, you know, they're saying that he raised up from the dead and people are saying that they've actually seen him. All of this is stirring around. They have nowhere to go with that. They, who, who do you go to when you think you just killed the Son of God? And you don't even know what truth is because you've devoted your life to actually warn against truth. These people are in the worst predicament ever. And they've been trying to do whatever they can. It's just like modern day to day or whatever, right? 
people do anything they can. We'll get high all day. We'll do whatever we can. We'll drink ourselves into a stupor, anything to not look at the truth. Because reality sometimes is too harsh. Peter and John are not playing. They bring the truth right to them because they need them to feel it. They need them to feel the weight of it to understand how good God's grace is. She tells them we've seen you, all right? Let me just give you a little, little context, a little idea. Matthew 26, 67 says they spat in his face and beat him with their fists and others slapped him. They were around for that. Luke twenty two sixty four 64 says this, and they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, prophesy, who is the one who hit you? Isaiah 52 says this, it says, and many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred, it was beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. The cross itself represents the lowest of humiliations a person can have. And the weight that they feel right now is that they subjected the Son of God to it, right? They're stewing in that possibility. But nevertheless, verse 16 says, In his name, by faith in his name, he made this man strong whom you, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man, this, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's foreshadowing right there what he's about to offer to them, right? He's foreshadowing the spiritual healing he's about to offer them with the physical healing that this man just had, right? Paul is, he's mirroring what we saw last week when we spoke about, um, excuse me, Peter, when we spoke about Paul last week having a redemptive vision. Remember when we talked about Onesimus last week? Y'all remember that? And Philemon, he's looking at Onesimus as a slave, not, not, not only a slave, a runaway rebellious slave. But Paul says to him, he says, for this perhaps, this is what he says to Philemon, he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother. Peter's there too. Peter's in the same place. He's looking at these people and his redemptive vision he has for them, the way he sees God's grace, the way he grasps God's grace is it doesn't matter what they've done, where they've been, how crucial it is. The good news of the gospel and the grace and mercy of God is like, it's not too shallow and it's not weak that it can't deal with that. You get where I'm coming from? How many of us have a problem believing the gospel even for ourselves on a day-to-day basis, right? How many of us wake up wallowing in condemnation as soon as we wake up? All we hear in the morning is that you suck. You're a failure. I don't know about you. I feel that way sometimes, a lot of times often, actually. But for us, when it comes to the gospel, the idea of condemnation is not even a conversation. It's a mute point for us. Because it doesn't make sense. Because there is nothing. When the Bible says, all have fallen short of the glory of God, there is literally nothing you can do to earn favor or position with God. 
So when we are, when we're waddling in condemnation and that whole thing is pressing on us, that weight that says you are not enough, you never do enough, you always fail, you always come up short, it's true. But it's not the end all for us. For us, Because the story for us is that Jesus Christ came up long. He did more than enough. His grace is always sufficient. His mercy is made new every single morning for us, right? Well, we talk about Isaiah 44 last week where it says, He knocks away our sins like a cloud. Our offenses like a morning mist. That's how he wakes up in the morning like, get on my face. Where my, where my baby's at? You get where I'm coming from? Right? This morning, Lana woke up, and Jules got up, and she was like, yo, here he is, or whatever, and he had, he had boo-boo on him. She was like, nah, this ain't a good example, because I didn't, I didn't welcome him in my arms at all. I didn't. I'm being, keeping real. I was like, all right, man, go ahead, go ahead now. All right. Do I know you? Beat it. Anyway, verse 17. Verse 17 says this. It says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. This is absolutely crazy, right? He's going on to a whole other chapter of the conversation. He just told them, he's like, you did it, and I sainted you. And then he hits verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me for your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall, de shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, sing to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So let's look at this really quick. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold, listen to this right here. He starts off earlier in the chapter, and he writes them in a story as being the rebellious sinners and those who were going to actually crucify Christ. And then he flips this story and puts them in this new story where they're actually being written in here as the ones actually called to repent and follow Jesus. Y'all get, get where we're dancing with right now? He slams them on their face and then he hits them with the best news they ever had in their life. Right? This is amazing. The reason it's so amazing is because condemnation works in a way where it uses your disobedience and your sins against you all the time and it says you're not worthy. But we actually serve a God who's actually so big that in this whole thing, despite their ignorance, despite their sin, despite them being completely unaware of what God was doing, God in his sovereignty was still using their disobedience to accomplish his will. Do you get where I'm coming from? They're in the story 
as the perpetrators. They're also in the story as those that are going to be glorified as his children. You understand where I'm coming from? There's this thing of hitting the floor, then being exalted highly. So like when we look at the life of Peter, we see Peter slammed on the ground in his sin, and then we see Peter being exalted. Right there, it's like, look at us. All the attention's on him, and all he's doing is using this platform to say, look at Jesus. Don't look at us. Don't look at my self-righteousness. Right? It's not, we're, we're not just good like that. We don't just point to Jesus because we're good old folks. Right? So like when, we, when I read earlier, and I was talking about how... Um, I read a scripture, hold on for me, y'all. Let me find it. In 2 Corinthians 12, when, this is Paul when he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. We're not just good like that, that we actually take the platform and we just lift God up in it. There's this thing where God lets us see ourselves. He keeps us close to him in our brokenness or whatever so we can be experiencing his grace and mercy. So the thing is, if I'm walking with a limp like this right here, if I have to walk with a limp, but then I beat you every time we race, I'm not going to tell the story about how fast I am. I'm going to be talking about how good God is. Do you get where I'm coming from? This, I'm going I'm to be pointing to another power that's making me actually overcome. So that's what Paul was saying up there. He's saying, I'm going to glory in my weakness because in my weakness, God keeps coming through and showing off his power. The story's not about Paul. You understand where I'm coming from? He's receiving grace. The grace of God is what's making everything he touches effective for God's purpose, not his own. That's peace because the world's like you have to win. You have to win. You have to get it perfect. You have to get it right all the time. You have to dot all your I's and cross all your T's. And then before you know it, you're back in slavery trying to make sure you always get every single thing right and anxiety won't even let you sleep at night. Do you, anybody know what I'm talking about? But this race isn't given to us because of how fast we can move and groove and beat everybody else. We're in God's story. We're in his story. Where he's, when, when, he, when, the Bible, when this says, like, because Christians use this all the time. We use it on Hallmark cards and everything. And we say, we are more than conquerors. But we usually when we say it, we're standing on the platform and we're saying, look at us. We're more than conquerors. That text is not about us being more than conquerors. It's about us being more than conquerors because Christ, the conqueror, has conquered everything for us. It's about grace. You get where I'm coming from? When I started my clothing brand, Straight and Narrow, the first thing, when I named it, it was about people who walk on the straight and narrow. It was about the good folks. It's completely misled on it. It's completely off on it. And then after a while, I had to go back and change all the wording. And it was like, Jesus is the only one who's on the straight and narrow. And he's called us into that story. I can say I'm on the straight and narrow because of what Jesus has done, right? Because by his blood and his grace and his mercy, but I had it twisted. We get it twisted all the time. And we, we get it twisted, and, and we do this thing where we have gospel forgetfulness. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this is actually natural that it happens, right? It's natural that it happens. But things get messy when we have gospel forgetfulness, right? Because the way we interact and the way we deal with people becomes really messy and ugly, right? Because we hold, right? So when my son gets in trouble... When I'm forgetful of the gospel, I hold them to these rules and all this stuff that I can't even hold them to. 
You get where I'm coming from? I'm not leading him in walking in the light and needing Jesus and confessing his sin. I almost lost my oldest daughter or whatever, being super hyper-religious, and you're not hitting the rules and crushing her with that. You get where I'm coming from? I'm not giving her grace. I'm not giving her the grace that I actually need. I can't stand before the Lord with the same rules I'm giving her. And this, so this is why This is why this part in verse 19 about repentance is so important. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This for them is the first time. For us, it's something that we live in and walk in every single day. It's the freedom we get to walk into. So they're trapped. They're in a bad situation. He says, I didn't, y'all, are, y'all are in bad shape. Because when the wrath of God comes for you, brother, it's going to be something y'all cannot, y'all cannot handle. But he says, repent and all your sins will be blotted out. One verse makes it real easy. Repent, therefore turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You can make it happen just like that. That's how efficient the blood of Christ is. That's what he's telling them. The murderers, the ones who killed Jesus, the ones who killed the author of life. This is what he's saying to them. But for us as believers, we walk in this repentance every single day. We get to wake up every morning, and when we wake up in the morning, like, and we go, God, I'm horrible, I suck, and everything else, that's sin. It's not just a thought. And I'm going to encourage you to count it as sin. Because, not not to condemn you, because condemnation isn't for us, but conviction is a gift for us, right? So when you wake up in the morning and you feel that way, you get to actually go, nah, God, that's a lie. Because if I believe this, that means I'm rewriting the whole story of who Christ is, right? It means I'm rewriting what he did on the cross. It means I'm making what he did on the cross really not that big of a deal. It means I'm rewriting the gospel. In Galatians 1, when Paul steps to the Galatians, Paul says, he says, um, he says, have you already forgotten about grace already? Because they all of a sudden, they've switched up from being, oh my God, God has won it all. He's done it all for us. His blood is sufficient. We get to walk in the freedom of following Jesus, and they have went back to following all of these rules, trying to earn their place to be good enough. You get where I'm coming from? Are y'all with me? Paul's like, yo, y'all forgot. He says, you've forgotten. He says, you went to a gospel that's not even the gospel. He goes, not, he goes, not, he goes that the, not that there is even another gospel, but you've made up some old weird type mess now, whatever, and you've missed Jesus. That's how vital it is for us to protect the goodness and grace and work of Jesus Christ because that's why a lot of our churches got real funny with it all. Nobody protected the gospel, Right? When people looked at us, we didn't go, what are you looking at? What, you think this is about us? You think this is about our piety, our self-righteousness? We didn't do that. We said, yeah, you need to respect, you know, our holy presence. Like, that's how we did it, right? We got dressed up in all the garments and everything or whatever, and we went real deep into tradition and so many different things or whatever, and traditions that didn't point to Jesus anymore, but they pointed to us how good we were and how different we were from everybody else. The Bible says all have fallen short for the glory of God. Nobody's cute in this story. There's nobody to boast about but Christ Jesus, about the work he's done. Y'all with me? So when we look at Romans 8, 31, and it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Condemnation doesn't have power over us anymore. We're free. And Peter, 
the way he gives them this grace by writing them as the failures in this plan, and then he brings them into this big plan that God is like, yo, y'all are the sons of the prophets I'm telling y'all about. He's like, y'all know this story? They know the story. He's going through their history, right? Through everything they've heard by all the prophets and everything. And they're just like sitting there confused. All they're just nervous. They're like, we've killed the king of kings. And they're convinced of it. And he says, you're the sons of the prophets. You're the sons of the prophets. You're in this story, right? You know when Drake sings, when he's like singing God's plan? Oh, y'all gonna act like y'all ain't heard the song. Okay. Oh, all right. Oh, y'all holy. Okay. Oh, all right. Y'all ain't never heard of Drake. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. My bad. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. Cool. Cool. All right. Okay. All right. I'm the only one that whatever. Okay. All right. Holy righteous people up here. I'm sorry. My bad. All right. But seriously, though, we in God's plan, for real, right? Let me read Isaiah 53 to you, because it's just an absolutely amazing scripture. But just read it, and you tell me if you think God is confused, if he, he's working off the cuff, if he's planning as he goes, or if he has a plan or not. Isaiah 53 says this, I'm going to start at verse 4. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our sins put on Jesus Christ. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened up not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, cut off out of the land of the living and stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, look at right here, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's what we just looked at in this text. Right? Peter, Peter's telling them. He's like, you crushed them, but you didn't crush them. This is God's plan for him to be crushed. And it says when his soul makes an offering for guilt, this guilt, this weight they feel right in that moment, it says he shall see his offspring. Right? Y'all peep that out? That's the weight, the weight of guilt, the weight of conviction. This is important, and I'm going to tell this, I'm going to just stop real quick and say this. This is how ministry gets done. Like, this is how it gets done one-on-one, right? There's this thing, like, The deception we have today is that there's so much stuff flying on social media, so much church stuff, there's so much stuff that makes you want to, there's so much ridicule, like if you speak out, like you can't even say something like, you know, man, I just want to, um, you know, I just want to see all the, uh, you know, children who don't have a home find a home today. You put that on Facebook and people be like, 
oh, for real? Oh, so you Mother Teresa now? Like, you can't even say anything without getting eaten alive today, right? But it's Satan's tactic to shut up at God's people. And so there's a cost to following Jesus. I'm just going to say this. I'm kind of getting off point, but I want you to hear this. There is a cost for following Jesus. God says you're blessed when people start to actually ridicule you for saying the truth. That doesn't give you a license to be a schmuck to everybody, right? Because we know a lot of Christians that are just simply jerks and rude and mean. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? I'm talking about actually going with a redemptive purpose for seeing people actually redeem people who are lost finding Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm saying this to you is because it's a weight that we all have to actually carry if we're we're followers of Jesus Christ. So Peter's doing his work. The Bible says we are ministers of reconciliation, meaning that we are actually the ones sent out to bring the enemies of God back into relationship with Christ Jesus, right? We forget this all the time. Or we just slide this kind of notion to the side because that means like work to do that. It means work to do that. It means work to think about that. It means actually sometimes rolling with people and loving on them and being with them and sometimes enduring their craziness and their ignorance, waiting for the moment when God says, like, now's the time to speak, right? Now's the time to speak. Asked somebody not too long ago, whatever, they bought something for me, they had stole something, and then they brought it to me or whatever. It's a long story, but I'm not going to get into the whole story. But they had just recently had somebody steal from them. And they were doing some work for me, and they stole something and brought it to me. And they were like, hey, I stole this. You hooked me up or whatever. At this price, I'll get it to you or whatever. And I'm like, I didn't ask you to go steal that. You know what I'm saying? But that particular moment was the perfect opportunity to convict them and go, do you remember that you were crying with me the other day about somebody stealing from you? Do you get where I'm coming from? I could just breeze past it, but it was an opportunity to actually like point to the gospel and go, you were crying with me the other day when you thought your employer robbed you and stole something from you. And you just went and stole something from somebody. Not to condemn him, but to let him feel the pain and then go, the gospel actually is perfect for you right in the middle of this. I can even identify with him. I used to be a full-fledged thief. He's not alone. You get where I'm coming from? I'm just talking to you from a tactic of how do you actually share the gospel? How do you walk in the light? Like, Peter's doing that. Peter has felt the same shame that these people have felt. And he knows that it was good, but he knows that there's also good news that goes side by side with it. Y'all with me? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. All right. We still there? All right. We good? We good? All right. Cool. All right. The other day, um, I was in a meeting, me and Elder Tony. Tony, that's your new name, whether you know it or not. From the, I'm, I'm not playing. It's Elder Tony from now on. We already decided. So me and Elder Tony were in a meeting, and... Um, It was at Wells Fargo, and we were talking about pretty much just like financial plans for um, for the 32206 zip code um, with a bunch of people, and we were, you know, it's the most impoverished zip code inside of this whole city, right? And so we're meeting with some people, and this this pastor was in there, and he's been in Jacksonville since the '60s. I don't remember his name, but he just blessed my heart in what he said. But he said, um, he said. when, he, when it was his turn to speak, he said, 
He said, man, I've been here since the 60s. He's like, I've watched it go from being fruitful to being broken. I've watched the drug epidemic hit. I've watched homes collapse. I've watched everything. And he goes, but I'm going to tell you something. He's like, this zip code is worthy of the work. He's like, this is most definitely one of God's most favorite zip codes. He's like, there's like literally gold. He's like, there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's everything walking around here. He's like, they just don't know it yet. And so when he said that, because I think about it like that, this is why we're here, right? And so when he said that, I was like, oh my God, get it. That's what I'm talking about, right? But it's the thing, because it was amazing, because it's the thing we preached last week. It's what, it's what Paul did, right, with Onesimus. It's what Peter and John are doing right now. They're looking past. They're like, they're like yeah, you're the killer, but you're also his child. Like, you're in a story. You understand what I'm saying? Like, this is what we're supposed to be walking around in. This is what God has called us into. This is the mars- amazing, marvelous thing God has done through the cross. Let me end this really quick. I want to read Romans 3, verse uh, 24 real quick. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So in verse 25 of Acts 3, when it says, it says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So he tells them that they're in God's plan, He tells them that they have a purpose. He tells them people are going to be blessed. And in verse 26, he says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he tells these people who just killed the son of God, God himself, that you actually are one, that you're first in line. He sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I guess that I know there's probably people here right now um, and we may even like hear the gospel right now. We may say to ourselves like, I know this. Like, this is good news, but I actually know this. But I have to ask you, do you actually know it? Right? I have to ask you if you actually know it because to know something of this magnitude, there is no way in the world that it can't have implications on how you live and how you function with your neighbor every day. It just can't, right? Um, To believe the narrative of that Christ is actually coming back and that God is going to judge and he's going to judge faithfully, right? To sit and move and groove every day with our friends, with our neighbors, and with our family members and everything else, and to actually know this, but it not put a weight on you, 
to declare the gospel or to share the good news, that could mean that you haven't received the good news. I think that's a very logical statement, right? Um, I don't say that to judge you at all. I say it to put you in attention, though. I think it's a tension that we all have to live in. Um, and I don't get to escape it because I'm actually preaching to y'all at all. It doesn't escape me. I feel the weight all the time of, Jay, how much do you believe this? Right? Do you, how much do you believe this? Do you believe this when you're in your house and your neighbor next door is getting on your nerves like they do? Right? But there's something, is that the end of the story? Because there's something way bigger than that going on. Right? Their soul is at stake. And I have the gospel. It doesn't matter if they killed the author of life. It doesn't matter if, you know what I'm saying, he keeps blowing his leaves over into my yard, which is horrible. But it doesn't matter because we have the gospel. Because there's another story that God may be writing this guy into. And all that's in between it is me declaring the gospel and them repenting and following Jesus. Then I earn a brother, right? It's like what Paul said to, uh, to, to you know, like Paul's talking to Philemon. He says, Man, maybe I'm enduring a little discomfort that I might earn a brother or sister for the rest of my life. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So I just want to leave you with that weight today to contend with that, um, not in condemnation, but in conviction, letting the weight of the gospel kind of push on you in that and what God's actually called you to do when he's calling you to follow him and what that looks like every day. I'm in the weight of it. I'm not meeting the mark. I'm not declaring to you that I'm like on point and I'm out here on fire for Jesus, but like, I want to actually follow Jesus because when I'm reading this gospel, it's so beautiful. I'm like, Lord, I want to, I want to do more. Not because I have to do more, but because I get to do more. I'm not earning righteousness with him. We've already got it. That's what makes this grace thing so beautiful. That if anybody can step in the truth and be like, God, I'm actually a mess today. You know what I'm saying? I'm missing the mark. But thank you, Father, for what you've done because it doesn't, it's not going to change anything for me. I'm still going to be in eternity with you. And I get to walk in the light and actually figure out how to follow you and trust you even more in this. Do you get where I'm coming from? And so for people also in the audience today, like if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to pray with you today. Like if you've just been kind of stuck behind a wall and you're like, I hear this God stuff and everything else, and, but you just don't know, it's the best thing in the world. And so um, we want to pray with you. We want to talk about that with you more. So we're going to take communion um, in a second. And when we take communion, we would love for you to come up and um, talk to us. We're going to have people in the front that are going to be praying. So um, please come forward, all right? Love you all. Thank you, church.